This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Well, it's good to be back uh, studying the Word of God again today. Thank you for joining us for the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, whether you are catching this live uh, or you are catching it on the archive, we are thankful that you are here. With everything that is going on in the world, uh, based on my emails uh, over the last few days, a tremendous amount of interest in the study of the Revelation, uh, maybe that maybe wasn't there before. Uh, so welcome in all the new people. Uh, you, you are joining us a little late uh, we're almost to the end of the Revelation. We're in Revelation chapter 21 today. We'll start in verse 4 if you want to go ahead and turn there. But if you want to catch the archives of this study of the Revelation, uh, you can do that uh, by going uh, to either burgessministries.com and clicking on Listen, or you can go to themanchurch.com, and you'll see the media button as soon as you put the little cursor over that. It'll drop down. You can either listen to the archives or watch the archives, whichever you desire, and you can go back and, and catch up. Or you can also go back through the many Bible studies we've done over the last several years. I do want to hit you with a couple things. Uh, this Wednesday Bible study is brought to you by themanchurch.com. We're a men's discipleship a strategy. Uh, we're a hub for resources for you to reach and disciple men in your church, your community. We have 40-week uh, curricula. Uh, we have four of those now, a fifth one coming out in 2024. We have individual resources for men. Uh, we have speakers and teachers that go out for men's gatherings and men's events. And last year, well, I shouldn't say last year because we're still in this year. It's the 10th month. This year, back in, in February, we did the very first Man Church conference. Uh, we decided we would uh, do a conference that uh, was completely our teachers. Uh, we weren't just somebody else's guest, uh, even though we love doing other conferences. But this was designed for our strategy to be on display. When you were there, you heard from our teachers. Uh, you were had availability to our resources. We had uh, men's uh, leaders uh, networking on, on implementing our strategy. Uh, we do feature high challenge with our speakers and teachers, but we also feature high equipping with all of our resources and, and the various curricula that we have. Now, if you'd like to find Find out about the dates in 2024. What I'm about to say now, this is not some ploy, you know, some marketing deal. This is you in this Bible study getting to talk to me, and I can shoot you straight, okay? If you are wanting to take a group of men from your church, and there's over 800 churches around the country, and you want to come to Birmingham on February 16th or 17th, uh, that'll be in Birmingham at the Wright Center. Uh, Robbie Gallaty will be our guest speaker, uh, who is not part of Team Man Church, but a great speaker. We always bring one guest in. And then it'll be, uh, I'll be speaking, Rich Wingo will be speaking, uh, Andy Blanks will be speaking from our team, uh, Chuck Hooten will be doing worship, or, uh, or, and or, you can do both, or you want to join us in Starkville, Mississippi, on March 8th and 9th, uh, where our, our guest speaker will be James Spann. Uh, Scott Dawson will be speaking from our team. I'll be speaking, and Andy Blanks there, and Chuck Hooten does worship there. If you're wanting, we do reserve seat ticketing because that's what I prefer because I lead the men's ministry at my church. I like to be able to get my tickets, know where we're going to be sitting, and be set for the weekend. That's how we do it. Now, that's good, but it also means if you're putting off getting a, a, a group of, of tickets, you you don't need to put it off any longer. The tick we have already have more men coming now than than we had at the conference back in in February. So the twenty twenty four crowd is already larger, but there are more seats available. We designed that uh, so there would be more opportunity. Uh, but if you're wanting to sit together, you don't need to put this off because your ability to put a large group of men together is going to get more difficult at the rate the tickets are moving. So go to themanchurch.com, just click on the logo right there, and you can go to both locations or either location. If the amount of tickets you need to sit together exceeds what the ticket service allows online, just contact the ticket office, and you can get as many as you want. Okay, So don't put that off. The tickets, praise God, are moving really, really rapidly, and we're already beyond the number of men that we had earlier this year. So that's exciting, but I don't want you to be left out. All right, so let's open up in a word of prayer, and let's jump right into our study today. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to open your holy word. Thank you, Lord, for what we, will, we, will, we can see today what is to come for all who are redeemed. 
and it is wonderful, wonderful news. Uh, and may it give us a peace and a hope that maybe uh, has been waning uh, looking at the headlines over the last few days when, when we see the fallenness of this world and, and how horrible uh, the results of sin can be. In your name we pray. Amen. And it, and it has been difficult, hasn't it? We've seen uh, the, what's going on in Israel and uh, on the, the Gaza Strip and in the West Bank. Uh, it, these are difficult things to see, but they should not surprise us. Uh, as uh, as we have been studying throughout the Revelation and studying throughout Scripture, uh, it was great for you know. There, there's a new interest among uh, all the people uh, from the day job. I, I do a radio show that can be seen and heard uh, Monday through Friday in various uh, types of formats, and so there's there's an audience of people now. It never fails. Um, I know we don't like difficulty. I know we don't like pain. I know we don't like suffering. I know we do not like these things, but there's one thing you cannot ignore. It always gets our attention. And people, I remember after 9-11 uh, here in the United States of America, you you better get to church early uh, after 9-11 because all the seats were taken. But you get about six, eight months away from 9-11, and suddenly those seats became available again, uh, and attendance went kind of back to where it was. But when people are afraid, they they suddenly want to they're, – they're suddenly – interested in being more knowledgeable about God. And what I keep having to tell everybody is he's, 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 it's in the Bible. Hey, I, I want to know more about what's going on with the, you know, the, the Arabs uh, and, and, and the Israelis. Well, the whole story, it's, it's right here. And, and so what, what I keep telling them is, well, go back and go through our Genesis study. You'll understand this issue and how it happened and What's been going on? It, it, it's all there, and if you want to know where this is all he, uh, all headed, join us with the study of the Revelation. Uh, now you're you're a little late to the game now, but that's okay. You can go back and pick up stuff, and I'm happy to answer any questions that that you have that I that if I can answer them. But you'll find most of the answers in the Bible. I will tell you this: over the last seventy two hours, I've had more requests for how to get this Bible study. I've had more requests on where in the Bible is this. I've had more requests on what translation of the Bible should I be studying. I've had more emails about any commentaries that could help me. Suddenly, everybody's really interested in knowing the Word of God, uh, and, and, and for good reason, because I think even we all realize, well, it's available to me. I just don't have any desire to go get it. That's how, that was my problem before I was redeemed. Uh, so I, it, 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 I'm not here to make light of that. I'm just here to say, whatever it takes, get it right. I, I was I was telling the guys, uh, uh, joking around. I got one text from uh, from from a man who is redeemed and a devout follower of Christ, and he said, "Burgess, you watching the news today?" And I said, "Yes, I am." He said, "Should we just not get any green bananas?" Uh, and I, I said, I, I said, yeah, I don't think I'd get anything this, that, that you that you're, you're counting on it being around for a while, because uh, one of the things that we can say that we're closer today than we've ever been to, uh, if you believe, which we've been teaching the revelation, I do believe that the the uh, the pre-tribulation rapture of the church holds up biblically more than the other points of view. I'm not saying that I'm the end all and. I understand that I could be wrong about that, but whether you're pre-trib, mid-trib, or, or post-trib, uh, the, the the we're closer to that than we've ever been. Uh, the other thing you're closer to is your earthly death, uh, and uh, if, if if we die, and, uh, and all you got to do is read the headlines, people die every day. Uh, and for those people that were at the peace festival, you know, um, going through the music festival before they were attacked by Hamas. Uh, those people thought they had all kinds of time too, and that was the day that they were going to stand before God. So, uh, so we we do need to be prepared for our earthly death or the return of Christ, whichever is going to happen first in our life. And God is not silent on this. Now, today we we have really good news. I mean, w- what is to come is, is is something to give us incredible hope. As we've said, the problem is is when you start trying to make heaven on earth. Uh, it was interesting because we just just finished the second wedding in our family in the last thirty days, uh, so uh, so that's uh, uh, so we we were all praying about this this latest wedding and and even we did the same thing with the one before back in Labor Day, and and, and you were looking at the day we were having it outside it, it was all beautiful and and I remember sitting down 
with my son and, and with uh, my future daughter-in-law, and I said, here's what y'all got to know about the ceremony coming up. God will be honored. Both of you have entered into this day the way he called you to enter, and you're to be to commended for that. And I love your devotion to the faith, but let me tell you this. Your wedding will take place in a fallen creation, and, and it will be officiated. I got to officiate it, and everybody involved in it are flawed, fallen people. Who, who had to be redeemed. So any any notion you have that everything that you have planned is going to be perfect, you need to drop that because it's not going to be perfect. We're, we're, we're going, hey, we're going, and we need to just go into it with that attitude. Well, about a quarter of the way into the message, the whole PA system goes down. And uh, now luckily it was outside and we had a relatively small wedding and I was loud enough to overcome that. But the minute it happened, you know, you could see their faces. They were like, well, yeah, you, you told us it wouldn't be perfect. Now, why why the PA system was on a battery and not plugged into the 110, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, but, but, I, but I do know that, uh, that we were able to overcome it because uh, you're not going to – on the most perfect day we've ever had on earth, there's still something wrong with it. Uh, but it was beautiful, and God was honored, and we even had uh, two people that, uh, uh, that, that decided they wanted to know more about redemption in Christ just from watching these two – uh, present the gospel throughout their message, which was beautiful. So, so, but what we see now is how it is going to be, and 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 this is a beautiful, beautiful scene. So we're in Revelation twenty-one. The changes in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, because we've been talked about what's going to be there, and today uh, John is going to say that the new heaven and the new earth will be so dramatically different from this present world that to describe it requires the use of negatives as well as the previous positives. Now, what does he mean by that? What John is about to do is say, I've told you what's going to be there. I'm about to tell you what won't be there. Because I don't know about you. Uh, there's a lot of things that I'm excited that they will be in the new heaven and the new earth, but there's a lot of things I hope aren't there. Uh, and John says it's so good, you need to get excited about the things you will not experience anymore. And that's what he kind of focuses on today. And to describe that, it requires pointing out how, how it differs from the present human experience. So let's look at that in, in verse 4 uh, through 6a. All right, let's, let's read that. So here's what John sees next. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Why? For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things, not some things, I'm making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We're going to have some fun with that, by the way. Then 6a, and he said to me, It is done. It is done. Uh, so let's, uh, I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning, and the end. So let's, let's look at this, okay? First of all, wiping away every tear from their eyes. So here's one of the things that John says won't be in the new heaven. It won't be part of the new earth. It will not be anywhere in the new Jerusalem, and that's crying. Uh, that, that will be over. Uh, every tear will be wiped away, and, and, and many people have, have talked about this, and I will tell you that that some commentary, uh, some theologians go down this road, but but most actually say, careful with that. Not that that's bad, no problem. That it really isn't tied to regret. A lot of people say, well, we had to have our tears wiped away because we regret all the sin we did, and we're sad about the people that maybe we knew that now are going to go into the lake of fire, and so we're having some moment of regret and 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 and, and difficulty, and then and then then you know Jesus comes down and, and wipes all that away. That there's certainly nothing wrong with that. We do know that that's all going to end, but more likely what he's saying is anything that would have caused you to cry will not be there. So there'll never be anything else that would take you to the place of sobbing and crying because of the things that are about to go away. Uh, and, and it's, 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 it's uh, not a need for comfort. Uh, it, it's, it's not a, a need from that because the reason why that most theologians don't buy into the there's regret for your sin because 
Romans 8, 1, which we talked about uh, last week, that one of the reasons why that, that Paul's so excited in Romans uh, verse 1 is because of everything he's been lamenting in Romans chapter 7. And we know that Paul says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we already know that there's no condemnation for us. So what will we be crying about? We also said that when they, they when they got the books out at the great white throne uh, judgment, that the redeemed don't have a book full of past sins; those have been completely wiped away. So it's so it's more likely that what is happening here is that this is the absence of anything that would cause us to weep. Not going to have any of that. You won't be in that experience anymore. And also another indicator: if you have your Bible, I'll show you. Go to First Peter. Um, go to First Peter, and and then we're going to go to chapter two. And th- this is this this kind of also kind of uh, affirms or confirms uh, what we are talking about. And and here's what is said in First Peter chapter two. And if you will look over to verse twenty four, and this is Peter talking about Jesus, okay, and looking forward to this time that is ahead. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So Peter is saying, no, when, we, when we're standing here, we've been made fully righteous. So just more, we don't really have anything to be sorry about. We don't have sadness. We don't have disappointment. We don't have pain. There's no tears of misfortune. Uh, there's no tears of lost love, remorse, regret, the death of loved ones, there really is no reason for tears, and that's what John is being told. None of that stuff's going to be here, so there'll be no more tears here. And then he tells us next, what? No longer be any death, which would also be another reason why there wouldn't be any more tears. Uh, when, when he says this, now I want you to think about that, and we've all been touched by this, and death shall be no more. Now I want you to think about that, okay? Because... This is such a biggie because this has been the curse that has been hanging over us from the day we were born because of the curse of sin. Because what did sin bring? Death. You know, it, it's, it, we're, we're all, you know, it's back to the, the next resource we'll have coming out in, uh, in next year that I'm, I still have about 10 more days to finish of the 31-day devotional, Sin Always Matters. Well, one of the reasons why we know sin always matters on this side of the new heaven, new earth, is death. Everybody feel impacted by the original sin? Right. We've talked about this. You know, I I was t- yesterday uh, trying to move my dad into into memory care the next day, and, I, and I'm talking and I'm looking at him yesterday, and I'm thinking, see, this is what this is what sin looks like. That not not just his personal sin, but just that collective sin of all mankind from the fall. We're all dying. Our minds go away. Our bodies go away. But when we get to the new heaven and the new earth, the greatest curse of human existence will be no more. I love Paul in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty four. What does he say? Looking to this day that John now sees, death is swallowed up in victory. Satan, who had the power of death, uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about this in chapter 2, verse 14, if you want to use that to go back and look, Hebrews two fourteen. Keep in mind, see, Satan no longer is in existence. He's now been thrown into the lake of fire. So death has been swallowed up in that victory. Satan had the power of death. He's gone. So it's almost like, did you ever have that feeling that somebody had something on you? And they blackmailed you with it for the rest of your life. And finally, you just almost wish the day would come that that person didn't exist anymore. Or, they, or, or, or sometimes you want to go, just tell everybody, man. Let's just get it over with. I can't have you holding that over my head the rest of my life. Well, Satan was holding death over our heads. The curse of death just hung over. All, it's hanging over you right now. There's nobody here excited about your earthly death. You know, like 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 I had uh, Lee Moore from Team Man Church, and we thought our our plane was about to crash. He looked at me, and he's as godly as a guy as you'll ever know. And he he is going to be celebrated in heaven for his devotion to Jesus. But in that moment, when we thought the plane was going down, he looked at me. He said, "I ain't afraid to die, but I ain't crazy about the process." <laughs> and I said, "Absolutely." Anybody excited about uh, about the process of dying? No, it hangs over us like a curse, doesn't it? Well, see, at this point. That's over. 
that's over. Uh, and, and, and we'll never be concerned about that again. So the next thing he tells us is we won't mourn. Why? Because there's no more death. There won't be any mourning or crying in, in heaven. The things that, uh, that cause these things will not exist because Jesus bore all of this. It, it, the prophet Isaiah, and, and I'm, I'm doing a daily Bible reading plan this year. I, I'm sad to say I don't do it every year, but this year um, I, Sherry and I are reading the entire Bible again, and I, I just we just came through Isaiah uh, and in Jeremiah now, but Isaiah 53, uh, verses 3 and 4, this, this powerful uh, prophecy of Isaiah about Jesus, said he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from, from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne, look, our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So what did Jesus do? He bore our grief. He bore our sorrow. And he took it all away. He took it on himself. Perfect holiness and the absence of sin will characterize heaven. This will also mean what? There won't be any more pain. The ultimate relief factor. No more pain. How many of you, I, I have pain every single day. I can't remember the last time I didn't have pain. Um, I, I, I knew things. You've heard me say this before. I don't know all of you heard this, but somebody said, how did you know you were getting older? And I said, when I began to be injured sleeping. I mean, you just get up and you're like, I, I went to bed. I was, I didn't have this pain. I just got to, now I have it. I don't even have a good story to go with that. What's wrong with your leg? I went to sleep. I, I don't know. I woke up and now 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 I'm. I mean, that's not even that's not even anything to be proud of. That's not even a great story. And and so, but but part of this is the pain that we have in this fallen body that will go away. And and we see that. Um, you know, as as Isaiah was talking about, he he covers that too. He says, not only does he take away our grief, not only does he take away our sorrow. Look at look at verse five, in fifty three. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we're healed. He took the pain. And, and, and it's all gone now. And, 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 and see, this is the thing I think a lot of people miss. And y'all know, and, and it upsets some people, and y'all know how concerned I get about people getting upset with me. And uh, but but I I I'm, I I will speak out boldly against the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel because it's not biblical. That's the only problem with it. And see what they try to take is they try to take all this when Jesus was healing people, and they try to make that the ultimate. Well, Jesus healed people. He healed the blind. He healed the sick. He didn't heal everybody. They conveniently leave that out. Uh, and he even told the apostles, or where well, they were the disciples then, but when they were when they were walking with him. Remember when he healed the one blind man, and they said, so what did his family do that why God cursed him and made him blind? And Jesus said, his family didn't do anything. He is blind, and he's been waiting on this day. We, you know, the, the Father allowed him to be blind so I would be glorified because people don't think I'm really God. So I'm going to heal his blindness for no other reason than to bring glory, bring glory to me. Well, Jesus, are there other blind people? They are. Are you going to heal them? No. Why? Because the the healing of our our finite present bodies isn't the goal. When he was healing people, what he was showing is a day's coming that John now sees where you'll be ultimately healed because sickness, pain, crying, your mental health, your physical health will be no concern to you because you'll be in perfection. And, and, and everybody starts locking on that, meaning you're supposed to go around trying to get Jesus to heal every little ailment you got. And if you got enough faith, you can do it. And if you don't have enough faith, it won't happen. And, and they just play that game with you. If you send enough money, you'll be healed. If you do this and do this and tap the back of your head and do rituals or something, you'll be healed. If you pray in a circle, you'll be healed. And all of that's garbage. All Jesus did, and does God still do miracles? I've seen them. I just saw one in the last 30 days. But was that miracle 
there for any other reason than for God to be glorified? No. Could I be in the same situation in two months and God not earthly heal that person? Yes. Would he be any less God? No. Because I'm not looking for him to make everything perfect right now. I'm looking that one day I'll stand before him and it be made perfect. As a matter of fact, a lot of times my suffering here actually points more people to him and refines me and makes me more dependent on him. I've never understood how the health, wealth, and prosperity people, I guess they kicked Paul out of heaven because he had all kinds of bad things happen to him. I guess he didn't have enough faith. Are we ready to say the apostle Paul didn't have enough faith? Did he suffer? Did God allow him to suffer? Over and over. What was he told by Ananias when Ananias went to tell him about his new ministry? Go tell him all the things he must suffer for me. Do you think Paul's suffering now? No. Do you think that's the ultimate healing? Yes. I got news for you. I don't care how many times you might get a, a healing, you're going to die. I've told you about Lazarus. Can you imagine him? He died again. Don't you know he said, hey, anybody seen Jesus? No. Well, here I go, dying again. Because he was healed. Why? So Jesus would be glorified. Not, not because he, where he would live forever in perfect health on earth. Apparently something happened to him. He died again. So we, we have to understand that. And if you, don't, if you don't believe that, go to Matthew 8, 17. This is after Jesus just healed Peter's mother-in-law, mainly so they could get a meal on the table. And uh, she just goes right back to cooking. Go, go to Matthew 8, and look what Jesus said about healing Peter's mother-in-law. Now, you got to admit, now that's faith when you ask Jesus to heal your mother-in-law. <laughs> See, those of you that laughed, you told me everything I needed to know. Okay? So, all right. So what, what, did, what happened? What did Matthew say about Jesus? He said, Jesus entered Peter's house. Look at 14. And saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever lifted, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought him to many. They brought him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Why? Why? Look at seventeen. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. We just read it. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Why did Jesus heal the mother-in-law and heal these people? So that they would go, that's what Isaiah said Messiah would do. It, do you think there were other people in Capernaum that didn't get healed? Yeah. Why? Well, because that wasn't the reason. If Jesus wanted to, if it was all about you're supposed to heal everybody, I guess he would just healed everybody. But he, you ever notice the health, wealth, and prosperity people will never just go to the hospital and go up and down the hall healing people? Go in there and heal everybody. I mean, if you've got that, and and God, and if that shows God's with you, then go empty the hospital. Of course, they never do that, and they shouldn't because that that's testing God. But our glorified, sin-free bodies will not be subject to pain of any kind. Pain of any kind. The former things have passed away, meaning any, I love this one, any old human experience of the fallen creation will no longer be in play. Can you imagine, brothers and sisters that may be listening, watching? Just think about that for a minute. Don't let that go by. Everything that is part of the fallen creation, all these things we all these things that are nuisance, all these things that are horrible, all these funerals, all these caskets, all these ICUs. All these chemotherapies, all the mental illness, gone. None of it in play anymore. Can that give you hope today? It certainly certainly has me. How about this? For the redeemed, it ain't always going to be like this. This is not this is not all we got. Can you imagine how disappointed you would be if if this world is all there is? And those few moments of a pretty good day you've been able to pull off is all you got. Well, for the lost, that's all they got. This is as good as it's ever going to get. So John hears the one seated on the throne, and I love that that Jesus that he looks at. He he really does for the C students from Calhoun County. Jesus says, I, "We're throwing a lot at you. Let me summarize. 
Let me summarize this, and I love when Jesus summarized this. He hears the one seated on the throne, behold, I am making all things, not some things. Underline that twice if you're writing stuff down, or if you're looking at your Bible, underline all. I think sometimes people think Jesus makes some things new. He makes all things new. And and this is, I love when you get a little bit of humor in Scripture. And remember, we have a, a sense of humor. Some of you don't, but you're supposed to have a sense of humor. And, and, and if, if that's the case, it can be corrupted like anything else. But it, apparently God has a sense of humor. Because if we were made in his image and we were given this sense of humor, but I find this interesting, and I was reading um, some of the commentaries, and, and, and they all pointed this out. Notice that when he says to John in verse 5, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new, that after that he had to say to John, Hey, write that down. I, I think John was so blown away by what's happening, Jesus himself said, you, you got to write that down. That, that's a big statement right there. Don't, don't, don't forget that one. Write it down just like I said it. He literally has to be prompted by Jesus to write it down. I think he's just in awe of what he's seeing and what he's hearing. He, he, this is such good news. He stopped, he stopped taking notes. And, and he's told, write this down. And, uh, and, and for, for these words are trustworthy and they are true. And, uh, and, and, and it's like the words are faithful and true. God's words, unlike uh, the old heaven and the old earth, God's words will not pass away. Hang on to that. That's a good. That that's a statement today. The earth will pass away. Apparently, the current heaven will pass away. But what will not pass away is the word of God. It will not pass away. And then look what he says next. After he said this, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. Anybody remember this statement? Not the first time we heard this one. Where do we hear this the first time? The cross. That's right. John 1930, if you want to write that down. John 1930. Um, uh, Danny Wood is not here today. He is. He, he told me his. Uh, we uh, pray for Janice. She was had a procedure this morning. Nothing serious, but he he could not be here. His wife. But I remember the first time that Danny was my pastor for twenty one years, and I, I heard Danny teach on this um, about how interesting it was that on the way to the cross, and I think it was the if I remember the message series right, and I know he's listening to the archive right now, and he's shouting, going, get this right. Um, I think he, he did s seven sermons on the, s the last seven things Jesus said from the cross. I may be wrong about that. That sounds right. But anyway, he was he, but when he got to this statement, he said, notice on the way to the cross that Jesus was offered comfort, and he was even offered opportunities to moisten his mouth, and he never would take it. He always denied it. But before he says this, he does ask for something to moisten his mouth, which can you imagine with how much he'd bled and how much he'd been through, how parched he must have been. And he says what? I thirst. I thirst. And it says they did get a sponge. And don't miss this part. Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever been to to Israel, but but hyssop is not what we would normally think of to lift something. Now, there's more to the crucifixion than, and I don't know that today's the day for me to unpack it, but I will tell you this. First of all, hyssop is a bush. Because if you remember, a hyssop branch now moistens the palate of the perfect lamb. In the Passover, you took the blood of a perfect lamb and guess what you use to paint your doorpost for the angel of death to pass you by? You used a hyssop branch. So now a hyssop branch is taking this sponge to moisten the palate of Jesus Christ. Now there's another thing in play other than the obvious. And this will have some of you follow up with an email, I'm sure, with me or call me, and we'll take time. And part of the Team Man Church, we were discussing this, uh, Andy Blanks was preparing to do a lesson on the crucifixion, and he brought a lot to the table on the research that he went to. These visions that we have of Jesus far up on a cross, that was more of an artistic style 
when people were painting that, that you, that you, they wanted you to look to her horizon. And it was obviously trying to show him lifted up. But in the real world of the Roman Empire, the person is not way up there like that. Think about that Jesus has no—nobody has any problem hearing what Jesus says, even in the state he is. It's more likely that you're almost looking eye-to-eye to him when the, the cross is not very tall. They Because they wanted this to be brutal, they wanted it to be personal, and they wanted everybody to see. So the hyssop branch also works if all you're really doing is this, as opposed to they're trying to get it way up in the air. The image of Jesus way up in the air on a cross really is likely not historically correct, which makes it even more brutal that he was likely and looking. He was talking to John about his mother. He's talking to all. That. I mean, they're looking eye to eye. They're looking right at him. So, uh, which which that, that's intense. So so anyway, and but that's another day. Uh, but the point that Danny made when he was doing the message was so good. He wants his palate moistened now so that we can hear loud and clear. He's denied it up to this point. Now he'll take it because he wants it to be heard clearly. It is finished. Tetelestai. Paid in full. Not partially paid. Not somewhat righteous. Fully paid. That's what they would stamp the bills in the old Greek language. If you had a debt to pay and you came and you brought the money in, they would stamp tetelestai, paid in full. And that's what he said. But he, he took the moisture to say that loud and clear. And he's saying it again. It's, it's a reminder. He's looking to John, and he is saying, it is finished. It's done. Everything that I said would happen is happened. The new heaven is here. The new earth is here. The new Jerusalem is here. All of the sin and all the repercussions for sin, it's over. We don't have anybody here but fully righteous, redeemed people. Anything that opposes this has been eradicated. What a wonderful... And when he says it is done, here comes a chill. Are you ready? I'm getting chills again. These words mark the end of redemptive history. It's done. The story's over. All this, the things that had to be done for our redemption have all been done. It's over. Redemptive history is done. That's a beautiful, beautiful thought. Uh, let's go. Let's finish the rest of 1 Corinthians 15. Um, I have had a chance to officiate funerals, and I'm yet to officiate one that I don't read this. this it, but see, John's seeing it. It's now happening. And here is when the Apostle Paul trash-talks death uh, in, in 15. And it's just... Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing when, when Paul says in, in fifteen fifty five, he says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, 56. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to look at 58. So he just said that, right? Now, do we all know this, guys? Look at me. We're not there yet. What, this is futuristic, what we're, we're reading about and studying. This. So we're not there yet. Well, Paul, when he writes this, it hasn't happened either. He's telling us it is going to happen. And do you love this? Paul then says, now, now that I've said that, and now that that's coming, I'm going to tell you what to do until that day gets here. And look what he says in 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord you labor, and your labor is not in vain. So let me ask you this, brothers. With us looking at this to come, are you willing, and sisters who are looking in, I know y'all do it, that's fine. And listen, I want to ask you, brothers and sisters of the faith, are you ready, knowing what we see today, to live the rest of your days on this earth until Jesus Christ comes back to take his church or until we die our earthly death? Are you ready to be steadfast and immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's just like I was somebody was telling me today. You know, like everybody keeps talking about all these things. What would we have to do? All these horrible things that are happening. I'll tell you one thing that would be effective is if we actually would would be disciples and make disciples. You know, you know how most people change the way they are when they're wicked and evil and sinful? When they're redeemed. We just did a story today. The son, the son of one of the founders of Hamas became a follower of Jesus. Do you know what he does now? He doesn't commit terror acts anymore. He's, a, he's actually against Hamas. He's against what's going on. You think the son of the creator wasn't just going to carry that on if he wasn't redeemed? So what stopped that generational sin, that generational terror from that family? Redemption. He's not a threat to you anymore. He's not going to uh, blow your, your building up. He's not going to uh, you know, shoot you dead in the streets. Why? Because he's been redeemed. Do you think there's any other way to get somebody so ingrained in something that we may think, it, it, we, we go, how can they be that way? I'll tell you why they're that way, because that's what they believe is true. So that belief has to be changed. You think it's going to be changed with an argument? You think it's going to be changed with a peace agreement? No. It's going to be changed when that person becomes transformed by Jesus. I was a menace to society before I was transformed. I wasn't a terrorist in, 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 in the purest form, but I surely terrorized uh, all that were around me. I mean, we got similar testimonies. I mean, I see men in here. We were bad people. You know, we may not be a, a, after your country, but we could certainly be a problem for you and dangerous. But what changed that? Redemption. Why, why isn't that where we spend our time? And, and, and you know what Paul says? If you do that kind of work, you won't labor in vain. I've done a lot of work that was completely in vain. I'll never get that time back. There's never been a second that I was laboring for the Lord that, I, that was in vain. Not a second. If the person didn't benefit from it, I did. Right? And so that's supposed to be our response. And I love this. The one sitting on the throne is qualified to declare the end of redemptive history because he says why. Why is he qualified? Look what he says next. I can say, this is Jesus talking, I can say it is done. Why? Because I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Do you realize what he's saying here? And by the way, if you want to cross-reference this about God being the beginning and the end, Isaiah again, chapter 44, verse 6 Chapter 48, verse 12, if you want to cross-reference that to prophecy. God started history, and God will end it. Didn't anything start without him, and nothing's going to end without him. He start, All of it has unfolded according to his sovereign plan. So this shows that the Lord Jesus Christ is everything he said he was. Did you hear him call him something different than the Father calls himself? No. Now, is there the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Yes. Are they triune? Yes. Are they one God? Yes. Are they also specific? Yes. Rick, can you explain that? No. I believe it by faith. A saving faith. I just They say that that's what God tells me, that, it, that, that God is triune but one, so I say, okay. But he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That shows you the Son and the Father are one. Okay? And, and he, he, is, he has full deity, full equality with the Father. So any false religion that teaches you that Jesus is not deity, that is a false religion. You want nothing to do with that. He's not just a good prophet. He's not just a good teacher. Uh, the, the, none of that garbage. He is God because he says he's God and he just said it again. Okay, so now let's go what happens next uh, in, in 6b and 7. 6b and 7, John hears these words, and he said to me, it is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Look at this. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The, so the first people that Jesus says that, he, that, that he's going to take care of is the one who thirsts. Now what? be careful here. The one who thirsts, what is that? Those who recognize their desperate spiritual need 
and they hunger and they thirst for righteousness. This is, this is not talking so much about water. To the one who thirsts, the one, the, the one who thirsts for righteousness, righteousness they will receive. Now let's look at Matthew. Go to Matthew 5. Go to Matthew 5 real quick, okay? So because we're, we're probably not going to have a need for physical water anymore, so this is a thirst for righteousness. Uh, Jesus on the Sermon uh, on the Mount, he's in chapter 5, and he says to, about uh, on verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. He's repeating that again. He said, to the one who thirst, I will give them full righteousness. When we enter heaven, our dissatisfaction with being hopeless, lost, is gone. God's righteousness, will, we, we will want God's righteousness with every single part of of our being. There'll be no more being dissatisfied. There'll be no more being lost. There'll be no more being hopeless. We will, you know, because we've been looking for that in this fallen creation. You're looking for it now, but you can't quite get it. Well, when we enter into the new heaven and new earth, that thirst and that hunger for all this garbage to be over, I want righteousness. Not only will you thirst for it and hunger for it, you'll be given it to, to, to your full satisfaction. Man. Look at Psalms 42. Psalm 42. You know, I may do, we may do the Psalms sometimes in our in our Bible study. I'm going to pray about that. But uh, there's so much in the Psalms. Uh, so Psalms 42, uh, and this is going to be verses 1 and 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts, see, my soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? I'll tell you when, right now. What John's seeing is, that's when you appear before God. The psalmist is saying, when's this day coming? I, I, like a deer pants for, 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 for water of a stream, I pant for the God. I have a thirst for the living God. I, I want to know God. I want to know him in his fullness. I want righteousness. When can I come before God? And you know what John sees? Right now. And to the thirst, the thirst will be satisfied. God will give to the one who thirsts for the spring of water of life without cost. Isaiah talks about this in chapter 55, verse 1. And, of course, we all remember the conversation when Jesus was walking on his three-year ministry. He had this conversation with the woman at the well. Of course, people conveniently leave out that he did point out the sin in her life. People like that didn't happen, but it did. And she actually was thankful for it. She went in telling people, this guy knew everything that I did, and he offered me forgiveness. Does forgiveness mean anything to people that don't think they have any sin in their life? You think she didn't know that she had some sin in her life? You think she just wasn't aware of that? What he was saying is, I know the sin in your life, but I'm still willing to give you the living water. He's literally talking about this. He said, you can go down there and give me a, a water out of that well, and we can all drink it, but we're just going to be thirsty again. What I want to offer you is the living water, and the one who takes this, what, righteousness, will never thirst again for what? Righteousness. Not water. Righteousness. You know what he said? I can make you fully righteous. I'm aware of all the sin in your life, but I'm, you, think I'm, you think I'm put off by your sin? You think I think your sin's too big for me to forgive? I had someone, I just had an email a minute ago, kept asking me that I think certain uh, sinful lifestyles will be in heaven. And I said, no one who is unrepentant of their sin. And they started talking as if there was certain sin that Jesus couldn't overcome. You think Jesus is afraid of homosexuality? Well, we stumped him. We came up with one he couldn't overcome. He just can't do anything. This is a special sin that Jesus can't transform. It doesn't require extra repentance. It doesn't require extra power from Jesus, but it does require repentance just like all other sin. But he, he's just stumped by some of them. He looked at her life and said, I realize that you are sexually immoral. That's what he's saying. But, that, but, but you're not unredeemable. You, you repent of that sin and turn to me, and I'll make you fully righteous. I'm the living water. And here is John being told that again when it's all here. 
So now let's look at the next the next group of people. So the thirsty are the first group. The next one, oh, this is a big one. We heard this in the letters to the church, didn't we? Verse 7, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. The other word we see in English is the overcomer, the one who conquers, either one of those. Both of those have been used. This, this comes from 1 John chapter 5. You know, We cross-reference 1 John a lot in here because it, it talks so much about sin always mattering. But look what John is saying in his epistle, 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So what, what, what does Jesus mean when he says the one who conquers? What does Jesus mean when he says the overcomer? The one who has a saving faith. That's what he means. John just told us what he means. Okay, so, so he's saying to those who had a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I will refer to you as a conqueror, as an overcomer. And, and, and he said this, what did he say this? At the end of each letter, do you remember this? He would say, but now for the overcomer, now for the one who comforts, they get this. For the one who conquers, they get that. For the one who overcomes, they get this. So he addressed the problems in the church, and he said, now those of you that have a saving faith, you have rewards coming. And here he is again. He says, I'm going, to, I'm going to let them know that they are fully righteous. I am their God. And how about this? They are my sons. He's saying the overcomers, those with the saving faith, they will have an inheritance that will be imperishable. It will be undefiled. They will not find uh, fade away. It is reserved for them in heaven. It's not like these earthly rewards that somehow you think you're going to get that you don't ever get. He said... It, it is it, for right now, if you're an overcomer, you are a co heir. We are told in Romans chapter 8, you are adopted sons and daughters of the one and only living God. And you have access to all that, that, that uh, comes with that inheritance. And nobody can take it from you. Whew. So, um, and think about the most powerful promise for those who thirst for righteousness and overcome I will be their God. I, they will be my son. They will be my daughter. Adopted sons of God. Adopted sons of the God of the universe. Wow. You want some cross references on that? You want to write those down? John chapter 1, verse 12. I just told you about the one in Romans. And it, that, that Romans chapter 8 speech about being co heirs with Christ and adopted sons and daughters, it's a beauty. Romans 8, 14 through 17. We're going to study 2 Corinthians next in this Wednesday Bible study. It's also found in 2 Corinthians 6, 18, Galatians 4, 5, Ephesians 1, 5. The writer of Hebrews has it in chapter 12, verse 5 through 9, and here back to 1 John again. Now 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. But only in heaven will we come into our inheritance. That's when the adoption that we are promised, that's when it will be fully it'll be fully recognized. See, right now we're promised the adoption. When we get here, we finally get it. We're here now. We're with him, and he is our God, and we are his children. It'll be fully realized. Now, verse 8, not good here. We just went with everybody who's in. We're now going to go with those that are not. Here's those that are the outcasts that will not be in the new heaven and will not be in the new earth. And to no one's surprise, uh, I remember the first time my wife pointed this out to me. She actually cut a, a short Bible study about this, and it's really, really good. You can find it at BurgessMinistries.com. The very first person on the list, look who it is. But as for the cowardly, number one on the list. I mean, God could do this list in any order he wants to. And he's, he's talking to John. He said, I love those that thirst for righteousness. I love those who are overcomers. I love those with a saving faith. But as for the cowardly, first one on the list. Uh, 
he says they they are not going to be part of all this wonderful stuff. And and who are they? They're those who have no endurance. Those who claim, I believe in Jesus, and then they fade away into perpetual deliberate sin. When there's a time to defend Jesus, they crumble to the world. They, they, they come from the, you know, Jesus' parable about the sower and the seed. They're the ones that have no roots. They're the ones that are easily swept away. They leave the faith. And what does First John again, you know what it is about those, those that leave the faith? You know, he said they never were in the faith. And God calls them the cowardly. Do, do you know that Jesus said that if we acknowledge him before men, he will acknowledge us before the Father? Do you realize he says, but as for the cowardly, if you will not acknowledge me before men, I will not acknowledge you before the Father. Now, some people say, well, what does that mean that our, our redemption is not secure? Can we lose our redemption because we won't acknowledge Jesus before other people? No, let me tell you what Jesus is saying. If you won't acknowledge me in front of other people, you never were with me. Your claim of redemption is fake. Can, nobody can be transformed by me and be, and, and be a coward when it comes to me. I, I'm too powerful for that. Think about it. In our own nature, there's things that mean so much to us, we will not shut up about them. Amen. And he says, well, if I mean so much to you, you won't shut up about me. So if, you, if, if you're easily silenced about me, then I must not mean much to you. And if I don't mean much to you, then you probably don't have me. You know what he's saying? Cowards just show me that they don't have a saving faith. So the cowardly, first one on the list. Some other cross-references there, Matthew 24, 13, Mark 8, 35. And it says when their faith is challenged or opposed, they crumbled like an old tin can. Hebrews 10, 39 says they shrink back to destruction. Think about that. I shrink back to destruction. So when someone shrinks back when they have a chance to defend Jesus, they're shrinking back to their destruction because they're revealing that they don't really belong to him. Rick, how can you say that? Just look at the disciples. They shrink, They would shrink back. They would abandon him. They would act cowardly until when? The Holy Spirit. After Acts chapter 2, they didn't do that anymore. All the way to their death, they would not deny him anymore. And that's who we are. We're the church age. We, we have the Holy Spirit. So that's the standard. He says the next group that will not get, be part of this, the faithless, they don't have a saving faith. The detestable, who is that? That's the wicked and the evil that live in the deliberate, perpetual, unrepentant sin. The murderers, which that speaks for itself, those who take innocent life. The sexually immoral. You know, that's kind of what I talked about a minute ago. Sorcerers, that's those that, that practice uh, witchcraft, part of the occult. Uh, pharma, pharmaceuticals, also part of this. Drug dealers um, uh, would, be, would be in this group. And he says the idolaters will be there, those that, that have decided that something on this earth that they, they value more, they, they fear more, they, they, they spend more time with than they do with God, which turns out to be an, an idol. And then the last group is those that perpetually and deliberately lie. Those whose lives do not show the evidence of transformation, Jesus says, they're not with me. This is all the way back to Matthew 7. Only those that do the will of my Father. People may talk about me. They may say a lot of things about me. But if you see this fruit, this list, if you see this fruit flowing from their life and you don't see the fruit of the Spirit flowing from their lives, they're not going to be with us because the evidence of the lack of redemption is in the way they live. So how do we look? Do we look like we thirst for righteousness? Do we look like we're an overcomer, a, a conqueror, a saving faith? Or do we look like the list of the outcast? Now, the outcast... It's not good to be on that list. They will not live in the new heaven. They will not be in the new Jerusalem. They will not be on the new earth. Jesus says for them, they will live for eternity as well, but they will live in the lake of fire. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you for today, and thank you for the hope and the challenge of this vision that you gave John of what is to come. Just as I was reading it and, and preparing, Lord, I could just feel a peace and a restfulness come over me that I know this day is coming. And even as things are falling apart around us, we're not even surprised by that because you know what you told us? Things are going to be falling apart around you. So we should not act surprised that it actually is. Lord, help us. Right now, this is another opportunity. The harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. People want to hear about the hope that is found in you. They want to hear about it right now for some of them in a way they never have before. Lord, give us the strength. Give us the discernment. Give us the power to not let them down because that would be letting you down. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.